Hey everyone, my name is Bridget McCullough, and this is Episodes to Wellbeing at Work. Employee wellness programs tend to focus on how employees can support their own well-being, but research is showing that developing supportive, compassionate, and emotionally intelligent leaders can play an integral role in supporting employee mental and physical health. When leaders are lacking these skills, it creates workplace stressors, such as interpersonal conflict, lack of inclusion and belonging, task overload, work-life imbalance, low social support, and minimal job control. Regular exposure to these types of stressors doesn't just impact productivity and performance, it can also cause well-being issues, giving rise to increased stress, mental health challenges, and burnout. In this episode, Alice Wheeler, Vice President of Talent and Organizational Effectiveness, and Wendy Larzelier, Senior Consultant for Talent Development and Ohio Health's Leadership Academy, return to the podcast to talk about how they're developing leaders with these skills at Ohio Health and why including this type of leadership development in your employee well-being strategy makes business sense. Welcome to Episodes to Well-Being at Work. I am very excited to have back to our podcast. Both have been on before. Have Alice and Wendy here today. We are going to talk all about leadership, thriving leaders, how leadership development is related to well-being. This is a topic that I love, and I feel like these are the two very best people that I know to have on this podcast to talk about it. So thank you so much to both of you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for that great introduction. So we're going to start out with what I hope is an easier question. Maybe not. Maybe it's the hardest one. But in the context of the workplace, how would you define a leader? That isn't easy. Um, (laughs) You know, I guess... (laughs) but I will give it a shot. This will be a different answer depending on who gives it, but I think we all understand the idea that you're not a leader because of your title, but because of the the characteristics and attributes and behaviors that you bring into the space. When I think of leadership and and effective leadership and good leaders, I, I think of those people who can have a vision, set a course, communicate that, get input on it, and bring people along, empower people to do their best work, recognize that work for the value that it brings to the organization. And it's not just about driving results. It's about making people feel good about the results that they're achieving for the Mm -hmm. organization. And I think those skills are sometimes really hard to come by in people. You know, really it's about, for me, not just driving the results, but really motivating people to the vision and to the work and, and to the feeling of satisfaction, having accomplished that work. I love that. Alice, do you have anything you want to add? Oh, no, that was beautiful. And like you touched on at the beginning, Wendy, having a title, having a role of a leader doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing all of those things. You can be deemed a leader in your organization and not be effectively leading. And the reverse is true, too. You can be a leader without being in a leadership role if you are the one in your space or on a particular project or body of work who's really setting the course, inspiring people to a common vision, motivating, supporting, and resourcing them and being there to be the lighthouse. You captured that exactly as I wanted to, (laughs) or as I wanted you to, because it really gets more into our topic. And exactly as you said, when you think about 
development and training for leaders, it's often high performers, or at least traditionally it has been high performers that are getting promoted into leadership roles. If you're really good at your job and then you get moved into a supervisor role or manager role, and you may not have any formal training in leadership, you might not be a very good leader. But then you've got other folks who are great leaders, but they don't necessarily have that title, but they are still exemplifying it through projects that they're doing or the relationship with their teammates in different ways. So my question is, what does developing leaders have to do with employee well-being? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be dramatic, but... um... So clearly I'm biased. Our team focuses on developing leaders and wholly human leaders, but we definitely have a point of view that you can have a lot of well-being programs for your employees, but one of the biggest, if not the biggest driver in what it actually feels like as an employee is your leader and how your leader supports you and works with you and models behaviors. When an organization has well-being programs, but an individual has a leader who isn't empathetic, supportive of resilience, creating a psychologically safe environment, you are not going to have well-being as that employee. So I think we can't assume, to your point, that leaders instinctively know, or those in leadership roles instinctively know how to do that or recognize the importance of these things that they've never been measured on. Leaders Mm. are typically measured on hard results. They're measured on financial returns, quality metrics, improvement scores, but not on being a supportive leader, making it feel good for the employee to come to work and be themselves and do their best and helping the employee feel that it's safe to fail or that they can say to their leader, I need help. I need a rest. I'm not okay today. And that's the key. And it needs to be intentionally developed for most of us in leadership roles because we've never been told it's important or held accountable for doing it. And yet the biggest thing I think in well-being is when I come to work, can I come as I am? Does my leader have my back? Can I make a mistake safely? Can I take a sick day safely? Do I see somebody showing up modeling this so that it feels safe for me to do it too? It's going to be one of my questions for later. So maybe we'll touch on it again, or maybe we'll just start talking about it now. But I heard this great example from another organization where they created this manager dashboard as part of the manager's performance review. And it included things like, percent turnover for that team, vacation usage for that team, overtime for that team, their employee engagement survey results, as well as participation in wellness and well-being offerings for that team. I'm sure there's more metrics that you can include in that too, but even something like that, you don't hear about that very often as those being things that are being talked about in terms of performance. But to your point, Those should absolutely, there should be goals set around that. There should be discussion around that because if your team, they, I mean, they could be great performers, but you have to be looking at some of those other elements about whether or not they're being overworked or whether or not you're having rapid turnover. Usually that's a sign of maybe the manager's not doing such a great job. Not always, but that certainly could be the case. And you can dig into some of the why their employee engagement survey. So I thought that was really interesting. 
that is really interesting. Like that's, that is unusual. And it's just like mm-hmm. measuring what you value, right? Mm-hmm. And you're basically saying we value this and it gives leaders permission to focus on those things. Yeah. Not only permission, but helping them to set goals around them and making yes. sure that they're being held accountable for those things instead of just waiting until their whole team resigns right. <laughs> because things aren't going well or the productivity starts to suffer. You start seeing, oh, I hate that term. What do they call it? Quiet quitting. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't knew we were going to, I knew we were going to get to that at some point in this conversation. Bridget, but yeah, it's a, I don't it's like hard. the term, but in the context of this, it's like, if you do have a team that's just feeling not engaged and apathetic and whatever you want to call it, something's wrong. Yeah. And just on quiet quitting, I would say this is a new term, but it's not a new concept, right? Mm -hmm. We have Mm -hmm. talked for a long time about the quit but stays in air quotes. So mentally, I've decided I don't work here anymore, but but I'm still going through the motions. And Mm -hmm. that's so much harder to measure because what happens is really a, a gradual decline of productivity and engagement that is, it's a little harder to tie back to a root cause. So just around the measurement, it's a very real thing. Unfortunately, that's a negative experience in every direction. Right. Okay. So what skills are most important to develop to help leaders have a positive impact on employee well-being and safety? And I ask this question because, again, I don't always feel like leaders not having the right skills is because they're not capable. Sometimes they may not be but sometimes it's just that they haven't been provided the skills necessary, that they're not getting the correct support that they need. But just curious from your perspective, you do a lot of leadership development with Ohio Health. So from your perspective, what skills do you feel like are most important? Well, I think Alice had mentioned earlier this point of view that we have at Ohio Health and leadership development around the whole human, right? The fully human Mm -hmm. leader. And I think what we've discovered is effective and important is the foundation of emotional intelligence. A lot of things kind of roll up into that. So we certainly offer introductory emotional intelligence courses where it's clear that we're teaching emotional intelligence, but we are usually really subtle about it in most of our other mm-hmm. our other development uh, work with leaders. So this developing through different types of sessions with different types of topics an awareness of self, an awareness of our own feelings and triggers and understanding of reaction and our place in that, as well as an understanding of others and how to notice those things in other people. We aren't explicit about it, but we get there in a lot of our work with leaders because we think that emotional intelligence or those things that are key factors in being an emotionally intelligent leader, i.e. self-awareness, awareness of others, emotional literacy, things like that play an outsized role in being both a healthy leader and modeling those healthy behaviors to others in the organization, including your team, but also an effective leader, right? Being Mm -hmm. able to address things more effectively, solve problems more effectively, reduce conflict more effectively. Those things come with better understanding of self and others. And so that tends to be, again, kind of a a not overt, but covert sort of way to develop leaders through a lot of the stuff that we do. Yeah, I totally agree with Wendy. Could not have said it better. It's the emotional intelligence that's 
the core competency for this, as Wendy described, and self-awareness being the most important starting place for that. And then, so I'll just add on some of the discrete skills connected to this that we teach as well, that we think are important are around empowerment for mm -hmm. leaders. How do you empower yourself and your team? Because often creating a culture of well-being means you're changing the norm, you're challenging the current culture. So that means you can't stay in, well, we can't do it this way, or this isn't possible. You have to be comfortable with empowering yourself and saying, how could we do this? What would it take? This is what we'd like to do. You have boundary setting, which is something that we talk about really overtly, because I mean, I think you can't underscore the importance of boundaries when it comes to well-being. And both of those empowerment and boundaries are sessions that we do that are always really impactful for leaders. Something that we were talking about in terms of developing a session for our own team. And then I heard Simon Sinek talk about it. And I was like, yes, that means that we are on the right path. <laughs> it's not just about <laughs> setting, setting boundaries, but also respecting boundaries. And as a leader, mm -hmm. I feel like that's super super important because I think when you talk about boundaries that's usually what people think about is like oh I got to set all these boundaries yeah you do but as a leader you need to be good at setting boundaries so that you're modeling the behavior and then also when someone comes to you with a boundary respecting that or finding a way to make it work you might have to meet someone in the middle but I yeah. think I just wanted to elaborate a little bit on that because I completely agree such <laughs> a good nuance to that and then the, the last thing I was going to hit, which we touched on a little bit here, is I think courage is a really important leadership Ooh, skill. Yeah. And I've experienced this myself. I think about my trajectory and growth. There was me figuring it out for myself and then me being comfortable leading my team this way. And then like the next level, the next challenge is, can I be brave enough to step into a room where this isn't the norm, where I may be outranked and say something that's going to feel provocative? in this space, knowing that I may not feel psychologically safe to say what needs to be said on behalf of my team. And, mm. and yet I must, right? And so the exercise of behaving compassionate, be putting that empathy in action requires a level of courage from the leader that may be uncomfortable. And so I, I do think we don't talk so much about courage in this way, but the courage to step into a space and challenge the existing culture knowing that this is a shift. It's a shift towards thinking about well-being as a meaningful and important thing and a culture shift, even when intentional, takes three to four years. Wow. Yeah. That vulnerability, again, it's sort of twofold of learning how to do those things yourself as a leader, but then you're modeling that and you're helping others to be able to do it as well. Okay. So you've kind of been touching on this, but my next question is, how is Ohio Health doing this for our own leaders, as well as we're starting to open this up to other organizations? What can this look like when you're doing this type of development? I often wonder what the past two and a half years of creating leader development programming would look like if we hadn't had COVID because <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I know it's, it's like, we'll never know. Right. But mm -hmm. at least for me, it felt like there was a shift for us on the Leadership Academy team in intuitively knowing, because we know a lot of leaders, and knowing what they needed broadly at that time. And that would be content related to 
dealing with the crisis in front of us. That can come in a lot of different topics, right? So those are our, you've heard us talk about this before, Bridget, but those are our leadership learning forums, which we've had a lot of success with and which are universal, right? They're not really applicable just to Ohio Health or just to healthcare or even just a crisis. And I think that's what we learned through that process of developing content specifically related to connecting leaders to the idea of resilience. So that was really where it started. We actually called it the R word. Some of our leaders, are, they're reading all of this well-being stuff, but they're not really connecting to it. And they're starting to feel a little resentful of it because they can't necessarily see themselves taking the time to exercise more mm. or eat well or whatever, you know, whatever they were hearing. And so we really thought, what can we do in this space, you know? So that was really kind of what launched our leadership learning forums was how do we connect leaders to well-being, their own well-being and their team's well-being. That started us down this path of how do we build on this, right? Build on this idea. And Alice came into our, our space at that time as well. And her influence on that was great. This idea of developing leaders from this perspective and giving them the tools they didn't even know they needed, right? <laughs> um, but what we've learned is that COVID really isn't just it, right? This is stuff that people are hungry for, that leaders in our organization who show up over and over again in these forums want to learn about themselves. They want to understand themselves better. They want to understand others better. They want to be more effective. They want to be more emotionally literate, which has just been great, I think, from our perspective. So part of what it looks like at Ohio Health is just really continuing to develop programming, understanding our leaders even better than we did before COVID, because we've had so much opportunity through this work to hear them tell us how they're doing, what they're afraid of, what they need, what they lack, what keeps them up at night, that kind of thing. And that tells a great story about both the effectiveness of that kind of learning but also keeps us moving forward with the content, right? And bringing a lot of that into our high potential programs mm-hmm. and other places. So it's not that we don't touch on foundational leadership skills or some of the other types of skills that leaders need to be effective, but I feel like we have used the well-being thread, pulling that through a lot of the development work that we've created. And we've talked already a couple of times in this conversation about the importance of the leader modeling for their team. And I would say that what we've done in the Leadership Academy is we're modeling that for the leaders. So Mm -hmm. it even takes it up one level. So for some of our leaders coming to sessions, they couldn't really describe what it felt like to be in a psychologically safe environment where they could prioritize their well-being. And so through these forums, we really have created this. We've created a safe community of leaders and been able to model and demonstrate what a psychologically safe environment feels like. What does it feel like to show up and be okay and be seen as you are and be able to shift? So we're creating that through reps and over time and always starting with self. So always starting with what's the experience you are having, you yourself, and then the next step being, and now how does that translate for your team? Mm. You think about it in health terms, we're not treating the problem. We're feeding our leaders a steady diet of nutritious content so that they stay healthy, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was just trying something, guys. <laughs> um, well, she usually I, uses the analogy of putting on the oxygen mask first, right? Mm-hmm. Like putting yeah. that on. And, and one thing before you finish, I love that you've included that, Alice, because very often, at least early in this journey with our leaders, they would show up at these sessions wanting to know, how do I make my team happy? 
How do I make my team motivated? How do I do all this? And we would sort of stop and say, we're going to talk about you. And that was different for them because leaders show up to care for their teams, right? right. And we knew you aren't going to get there if you don't get there yourself first. So true. And then I think that like the next horizon for us, which is a natural extension of how we've been doing this, is we're starting to talk about things that have been considered taboo, that you don't talk about at work. Talking about what's it like to lead through uncertainty? What is it like to deal with fear at work? So some things that are not traditionally talked about in leadership development and may make people a little bit nervous, but really are there all the time for us. And we're excited that we've gotten to this place in the support and growth of the leaders. They trust us enough to be able to have these big conversations that have a really lasting impact on themselves, on their families, on the community, and on the teams they lead. I'm excited now that we're taking those leadership learning forms. I've attended them myself, and they've been so successful, as well as some of the other training that you offer. We're taking it out to our clients now because we've seen such great value from that. One question I have then is how do you measure if what you're doing is working, if it's really having an impact on leaders and their teams? Well, you hit on a few things earlier, Bridget. We are able to measure through our engagement survey Mm -hmm. results. We have several questions that talk specifically about how people feel about their manager, manager being whoever their one-up leader is. We also have questions that measure how people feel about their job stress and their ability to manage it effectively. Mm-hmm. So we're able to see that. And excitingly, even in a time when healthcare has been such a challenging environment to work in, we've seen that the questions around how people feel about their leaders are improving, even when other things are not. And then the next level is, can you then correlate that to how they feel about their job stress, their well-being, and their ability to handle the stress that they're under? We definitely can look at things like turnover. Uh, It is tough to be able to attribute that to one thing in today's environment. There's a lot going on. And then I would say the last one that, that I'll hit, and then I'll see, Wendy, what you have to add is that a little less tangibly, we are able to see the culture shifting in pockets as evidenced by the way leaders behave, the way they make decisions and the language they're using to talk about things even when no one's looking. So when we are hearing some of the language that we know we've been feeding come back up out of the mouths of leaders or their employees, we know it's working. We can see these threads being woven through the organization that drive long-term positive change. When we start to hear other people talking about emotional intelligence and Mm -hmm. self-awareness and vulnerability and hear our words come back to us, and that's pretty magical. I wanted to share a little quick story about how anecdotally this can work for us. And I have to imagine it multiplies a bit across the organization, but I had a chance to speak with a leader a couple months ago, I guess, about her specific experience in high potential development program. And she shared her story with me and it was really nice to hear. But one thing she said that has stuck with me was something to the effect of once you open that door of self-reflection and self-understanding, 
that door doesn't shut. It stays open and it's something you continue to grow and develop and seek out. And I thought that's what we're talking about, right? Fast forward to a session I had earlier this week where her care site was getting some results back from a consulting engagement about burnout and stress and things like that. And it turned out that the area that she has influence over as a senior leader in that care site did exceptionally well. And the gentleman who was providing the results called her out and said, well done. And I thought to myself, ooh, <laughs> I wonder if this <laughs> is a sign of the impact of her being a different kind of leader in the organization. Mm. And I hoped so, you know, I yeah. thought she, she has had impact for sure. And it was evident in the results of this work that the consulting group had, had been doing with that care site. So it made me feel like, wow, this is really impactful. And we aren't going to know about a lot of that stuff. I just happen to be on that call. I'm not on right. all calls, right? So that's why I say it. I have to believe there's multiple of that across the organization that we aren't aware of that may be more anecdotal, but is still evidence of the success of these types of programs. That's an awesome case study, Wendy. Yeah. I haven't even shared it with you yet. So <laughs> I am so excited. You heard it here first on the podcast. <laughs> Glad I tuned in today. <laughs> That's great. And I think sometimes, too, those stories are just as impactful, if not more than the numbers. Sometimes it's really great to sort of see it in action and where it's happening. And so, again, you guys have done a great job sort of unintentionally <laughs> connecting to my next questions. But I want to know, this is the last one that I have, unless there's anything else that you wanted to share, was around why this really matters so much for an organization. And I know that we all should just care about employees' well-being, but that's not always the driver for senior leaders within an organization. And we've talked a little bit about things here and there, talking about quiet quitting and being productive and turnover. But I'm just curious if there's any other elements that you want to add around why an employer should care about making this type of development part of their leadership training. I'll throw out there that it's almost like you won't know how valuable and important it is until you don't do it and sort <laughs> of see the results of that. And it might take time, right? But I think it's challenging for organizations who have not adopted the mindset that it is important and valuable to maybe make that connection. Kind of like Alice was saying, it's hard to connect turnover. There's so many reasons for things like that, mm -hmm. but I think it reflects in your culture, right? Over time. So if it's a need that people have, and what we're learning is that people have the need. And when you give them permission or open the door to let them express that need in a safe place, you get a better sense of what the need is. And you start mm -hmm. to understand, wow, if we weren't doing this and we weren't meeting this particular need, what might this look like? We've struggled as an organization, just like everyone in healthcare with staffing and retention and things like that because of COVID, I think. But if we didn't have a focus on leaders that enabled them to show up, be vulnerable, talk about what causes the stress and discomfort in their lives that gives them a chance to rebound a little bit better maybe and have that impact on their team. I don't know what this would look like. It's hard to maybe measure if you're not doing it, but I think that there is a definite negative outcome for not doing it. A couple of things I'd add is, listen, for the bulk of us, no matter what industry you're in, the number one differentiator in your success is made up of the people who work for you in whatever capacity it is. Even if you have two companies who both make boxes 
cardboard boxes and sell those cardboard boxes for the same amount of money. One of them will be a market leader. One of them will not. The difference is your people. So how you handle your people, your number one asset and resource is critically important. It should be the most important thing. There is a sound business investment in anything you do to support the people in your care. And so leaving this at the door, letting this be a plus or an extra or an add-on doesn't make business sense. It doesn't. The leader of the future will understand this. The leader of the future has to be fully in touch with their own humanity and be able to move the hearts and minds of the other humans in their care. That's how change happens. That's how we move into the future. Machine learning, automation, that stuff can take care of the things that we used to need leaders to do. But what leaders do have to do today is know how to connect emotionally and humanly with the people in their care and keep them well and whole and healthy and engaged. And that's why this leadership development is not optional for an organization that's going to succeed. All that to be said, it's also valuable because it's the right thing to do, right? An organization can do good while doing well. Alice, I could not have said that better. The organization of the future is going to be made up of different generations of people, right? And if you think about the generations that are probably going to be exiting the workforce now and in the near future, some of them are part of what was actually called the silent generation, right? So they weren't brought up to talk about how they felt. They weren't brought up in the workplace to be vulnerable and to learn emotional intelligence, but we're, we're coming into generational shifts in those spaces. So we're talking about leading millennials or leading Gen Z folks who are much more attuned to their emotions, much more likely to value that type of leadership and need it to feel good about coming to work. So I think there's some value there too. You're so right, Wendy. I think previous generations put up with a lot that the younger generations are like, uh-uh, no way. I'm not working at a place like this where my well-being is suffering. I don't have to deal with that. And that's what, why you're seeing this great resignation. We went through so much in the last couple of years, all that we had to face and deal with it. A lot of that ended up really coming to light through the workplace. So interesting because of all that that changed for us. And so I think you're exactly right. We're learning and it's not going to be acceptable anymore. And so if you want great talent and you want people to be very productive and engaged in your organization, as Alice said, like it's, it's a non-negotiable. You're going to have to do this work with leaders and within teams to really be able to continue on mm -hmm. in this world. I think you're exactly right. You know, Alice, when you were talking, I was over here hooting and hollering and silently <laughs> <laughs> and jumping up and down. Yeah, this is so great. And I had jotted down a couple of things that I was thinking about myself in terms of why it matters. And I feel like you hit on so much of it and it just shows up, I think, even in ways, more tangible ways for the organization, which again, can't always directly correlate it, but it, it will. It will show up in your retention. It will show up in your customer service big time. And it will show up in healthcare costs. It will show up in recruitment and absenteeism too. People taking time off because, or taking leave because they are burnt out. And a lot of that can be from the culture, but it can be from specific leaders. 
And so if we can give those leaders the skills that they need and give them the support that they need personally too, so that they can help their teams, it really matters. It does. All right. Well, it was so, so wonderful to have you both on again. I loved every minute of this conversation. Thank you again, <laughs> both of you for joining. Thanks for Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. My biggest takeaway from Alice and Wendy is this cascade of impact when integrating leadership development into your well-being strategy. Arming your leaders with finely tuned human skills enables them to better prioritize their own well-being, practice leadership behaviors that support the well-being of their teams, and creates a ripple effect, leading to positive organizational outcomes like improvements in employee engagement, retention, customer service, and even decreased healthcare costs. We're so excited to now be offering some of these development opportunities to our employer partners so that you can experience the benefits yourself. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode to Wellbeing at Work.